Good afternoon, good evening, or good morning, whatever it is for you. Welcome to the Unqualified Scholar Podcast. My name is Todd. I'm here with my friend Alyssa, and we are going to talk about something that I don't know anything about. So my question is, is how do you feel about kitchen scissors? Not scissors that live in the kitchen. Kitchen scissors? Kitchen scissors. You use them to cut pizza, chicken. Essentially, you just take away the knife and use scissors. I don't know anything about kitchen scissors. Oh, you haven't experienced kitchen scissors. I I mean, I think we have, so my wife is the kitchen gadget lady. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we probably have some kitchen scissors. They're probably not allowed in the, actually, we're not allowed to call it the junk drawer. <laughs> it's the spare things drawer. Mm-hmm. I think the, the kitchen scissors live in the knife block, right? Like okay. There's a little yeah. slot for kitchen scissors there. So, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, am I? What so you I haven't missing? you haven't made a pizza in the oven, and then taken it out and taken the scissors and just cut the pizza. No, I'm I'm much more of a 1950s husband than that. I'm I'm usually fed. <laughs> That's a joke. I'm not from the 50s. I'm from the 80s. But anyway, no. Yeah. No. I, mm, when you're having you know chicken, right? Yeah. Instead of taking a knife and cutting it up, you just take a pair of scissors just and scissor cut it up. Yeah, that's usually done for me. My meat comes, you know, already cut on a plate, <laughs> nice and hot, five o'clock. Okay. Every night. So more cooking questions. Well, I mean, I I did used to work in a commercial kitchen. Okay. So I actually, like, don't tell my wife, but I can cook. Um, so you don't starve when she goes out of town. N- no, and I usually I like I like to make a big joke out of it, um, but I'm also like when you're just by yourself. Like if you order one pizza, you can eat for like three days That's true. off one pizza. And, you know, you work the economics of that out. I can get a lot of stuff done when she's out of town. <laughs> as long as I don't have to take care of any, you know, kids or grandkids. And I'm usually fine. Mm-hmm. But I, I did work in a commercial kitchen for a year. Mm-hmm. And we fed uh, around 200 students and staff at what is now Ethnos 360 Bible Institute. Okay. I changed the culture of the kitchen. Okay. How? By uh, th- before I got into the kitchen, they were making cornbread in big sheet pans, mm-hmm. so like two foot by three foot pans. Yeah. And so then you have like it's brown on the edges and kind of like it's okay in the middle, but it's not done. Yeah, maybe it's not as done. Like it's just inconsistent. Mm-hmm. And I thought we can do better. And so I wasn't the lead cook or anything. I was just a guy. Mm-hmm. And um, I convinced the lead cook, the chef, that we could. Uh, it was just as easy to make muffins as it was to make sheet pans. That's true, yeah. And so I also convinced him that we could use honey in place of the sugar. Mm-hmm. And so they came out a little bit moister, a little more consistent. And you could take a pat of butter, butter and you just break it in half and put the butter in there and then put some extra honey, like more honey. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. <laughs> so good. Changed my life. I worked in the kitchen at a church camp so Mm. it wasn't 200 i think the most we ever had was probably 100 Mm -hmm. but yeah we would make cakes in those pans but then we would take the wooden spoon and put the holes in it Mm -hmm. and then put jello over it oh that was really good yeah moisten things up a bit Mm -hmm. so are do you have kitchen shears kitchen scissors oh yeah yeah but that came from my husband i didn't have that growing up really Mm -hmm. he does most of our cooking at home 
Oh, he's a good guy. Yeah. He also, uh, he washes dishes and he has the, the culture of honor stuff right there. So he keeps it on his phone. And, yeah. He's he also been, listens to our podcast while he's doing it. Does he really? Oh, okay. Grant, thank you so much for being one, our one dedicated listener, along <laughs> with my mom, maybe two. Um, no, this is this is fun. So something I do um, I do know a little bit about. Um, we referenced the conscience this week at church or last week at church, um, and we're doing the at the movie series where we watch a movie together mm-hmm. and we watched 1940s Pinocchio. Uh, 1940 Pinocchio. Um, and you remember Jiminy Cricket. Yes. Yeah. So Jiminy Cricket is the little dude who is assigned to be Pinocchio's conscience. So the blue fairy brings Pinocchio to life mm-hmm. and um, she tells Pinocchio, always let your conscience be your guide. And Pinocchio's like, what's conscience? And Jiminy says, conscience? What do you mean what's conscience? And <laughs> Jiminy goes and he says, conscience is the thing that tells you what's right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's actually a biblical basis for the idea of the conscience. And it sort of relates to what we talked about when we talked about Alvin Plantinga, mm-hmm. you know, the sense of the divine that is built inside all of us. And so one of the ways you can start... Um, there's a couple different ways because I really want people to kind of get some procedures from our podcast. Mm -hmm. One way would be to, you know, using your study Bible as you crack things open, you can sort of see uh, when the word conscience is used. Um, You can see where it's used and then you can look for an article or something in the study Bible notes about that. Another way is to start with the dictionary. And when we're talking about theological things, we would start with a theological dictionary i can feel the audience shrinking mentally (laughs) like oh we're we're off in the dictionaries now but this is really helpful because it it distills um good information into a shorter format right Mm -hmm. like you could have whole books and articles and even scholars could write back and forth about you know what the conscience is and where it comes from um you don't want to get into all that but the dictionary and this is the evangelical dictionary of theology Uh, which I I recommend to people all the time. So one of the things that I do for our denomination is I help um, rising pastors and people who will be licensed for ministry to achieve that goal. And so one of the things we ask them is we ask them theological questions and we send them here to sort of start with the answer. So the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology says this about the conscience personal awareness of moral accountability to uh, not necessarily self-consciously acknowledged norms. So personal awareness of moral accountability to acknowledged norms, although you're not always aware like of what exactly you've done that you're accountable for. Okay. Okay. So can you think of something when you were a kid where you had a vague sensation that what you were doing was wrong. I have a really bad memory. Uh, That's probably helpful. Right? <laughs> yeah. Keeps your conscience nice and clean. Yes, very much so. So uh, I can remember when I was a kid, I was about um, five or six. Mm-hmm. And I was at the, we would walk up to the corner store, which was, gosh, I don't even think it was a Seven Eleven, But I was stealing candy. Mm. And I got caught. Ooh. Yeah. And so they made me sit behind the counter while they called my parents. Mm. Yeah. So that was like terrifying. 
And so after that, I won't say that I never stole anything ever again, right? Mm -hmm. But I knew I had a, an awareness because it had been revealed to me that that was wrong behavior. So uh, an awareness of moral accountability. Um, conscience reflects the divine norms written on our hearts as an aspect of humans imaging God living in the presence of God. So we have this sense of the divine that God has built into us, mm -hmm. and that includes um, a sense of right and wrong. Okay. And that's also like our community, our parents, our early experiences. I would imagine for you, because I know you a little bit, mm -hmm. that your conscience would be very sensitive towards people who are being marginalized or oppressed. So if you saw someone or felt like someone was being hurt, that would really bother you. Yes, very much yeah, so. so. I, I, I know you, yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, it bothers me too, but probably not in the same way. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes my sense of justice, my son, my older son has a very strong sense of justice. And so when he feels like there's an injustice, he is just riled up, mm -hmm. you know, and those things are issues of conscience and we can train them or we can desensitize them um, because that's what a conscience does. It's not perfect because we live in a fallen world. So the article goes on. I certainly won't read the rest of the whole thing. Thank you. Right? You can do that on your own time. But one of the, the Bible verses that it references is Romans 2.15. And so Romans 2.15 and 16 says this. Um, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God will God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. So that's the ESV. Um, and in chapter 2 of the book of Romans, it's talking about the moral man. So we've already sort of talked about, oh, maybe that's the, yeah, that's the moral man. So Romans has five sections. Um, in the first section, it's the sin section. Okay. And it talks about different people and their relationship to sin. Paul starts with the pagans, people who are just like, we're going to sin and we don't care. Mm -hmm. Then he goes to the moral man. He says, look, these people have a conscience and their conscience either accuses them, I've done something wrong, or it excuses them. This isn't really as wrong as it seems, right? Gotcha. Justify it. Yeah. And so then, like what I've, what I've tried to help people understand is to use a study Bible, uh -huh. okay, Crack open your Bible, and as you're reading, there will be different footnotes and explanations. So I actually have, like, we're looking at um, a computer program called Accordance, mm -hmm. and I have two Bibles and three study Bibles open all together on the screen. It's a lot of words. There are, there are a lot of words there. But in the Life Application Study Bible, what it says under chapter 2, verses 12 to 15 is, if you traveled around the world, you would find evidence in every society and culture of God's moral law. For example, all cultures prohibit murder, and yet in all societies that law has been broken. We belong to a stubborn, sinful race. <laughs> so I think, that's, I think that's true. Some cultures, I used to work with uh, missionaries, and in some cultures, like they praise tricksters. So if you steal something and get away with it, that's morally praiseworthy in that culture. The monkey king. Yeah, the monkey king. Um, but what if somebody steals from you? You see, that's right. where it gets yeah. it gets a little more particular, right? Robin Hood. Robin Hood robs from the rich and gives, gives to the, the poor. poor. Yeah. yeah. 
How do the rich feel about that? They don't like it at all. They don't like it at all. Yeah. And that's the carrot thing coming out of you. You're like, let's eat the rich. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> where I would look at it and, you know, I used to work for a rich guy mm-hmm. and I was thankful because all my paychecks cashed. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so Romans talks about matters of conscience and how conscience is universal as far as we can tell in every society and culture. And then there's, then you can go on to other passages of scripture. Like there's another one in uh, first Corinthians and we're just basically kind of following the word, uh, the word conscience around. And in the NIV, uh, first Corinthians eight chapter, uh, chapter eight, verse 10, it says this, for if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. That's a pretty high bar. Mm -hmm. Because what it says is that my liberties are restrained by your conscience. Mm -hmm. Huh. Okay, so how does that work? Like, does that mean that Paul never eats meat privately or he just doesn't eat with you? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I think I think it's more reasonable to imagine. Uh, well, let, let me go back and back up a little bit and just kind of talk about what's going on in the history and culture at the time. So in the ancient world, they didn't have any refrigeration, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of times if meat was, if an animal was sacrificed, that meat was then sold Um that day. Mm-hmm. So you could maybe have like two or three days after that. Mm, things are getting kind of funky. Yeah. Especially in the desert. Yeah. Then, in yeah. the heat, desert heat, as long as it's not preserved with salt or something, or, I mean, you could dunk it in honey. That would mm. be one way to preserve it. Jerky, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. So people didn't have meat very often. Bread was the normal, um, daily kind yeah. of food. And so they would have meat for special occasions, but most of the time that meat was offered in an idol's temple. So if you're walking around the streets of the ancient world, if you're in Rome or Corinth Mm -hmm. um, and you see meat for sale, that meat was probably an animal taken into the temple and sacrificed to whatever God and then taken down to the meat market and sold. Gotcha. Okay. Can a Christian eat that? I don't know. Well, there's not very many pagan temples that are selling meat in the area. Not anymore. I mean, you know, if you go to Walmart, I mean, maybe that's, you know, we could have our anti-corporate bias rise up there and be like, why would you buy meat from Walmart? Well, we've got plenty of local butchers too. Yeah, there's local butchers. Why would you not buy local? Um, Yeah, so that's where like in the ancient world, there are two different kinds of people that Paul brings out. There's the strong person Mm -hmm. and then there's the weak person. Right. Now, it's, it's maybe not so much good, bad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the strong person knows that the idol is nothing. It's not God. It's not anything of substance or significance. And so that person, their conscience can be completely clean. Mm-hmm. Um, they could eat whatever was sacrificed in the, in the te- temple and not have it bother them. The weak person, and maybe this person used to be involved in the pagan temple sacrifices and all of the things that go along with that. Okay. And so for them, it's like a flashback to a time when they weren't a Christian. Mm-hmm. 
And maybe they're not just completely over it yet. Right. And so they think, okay, I can't do that. I used to work at Walmart. I can't eat meat from Walmart. Yeah. That's a joke. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where like the strong person, and the weak person, they're both Christians now in one church together. And so imagine the strong person is like, Hey, you want to come over for dinner? The weak person's like, I'd love to, cause we're now brother and sister in Christ. Mm -hmm. And then the, the strong person says, Oh, I've got a treat for you today. Great big hunk of goat just bought it today. They bring it from the kitchen and they lay this great big steaming hunk of religious sacrilege right on the table. Mm -hmm. And what does the weak person do? I'm sorry, I can't eat that, right? Well, how do you get around that? It's, it's a conversation. So uh, in the study Bible, and this is again the Life Application Study Bible, uh, new believers are often very sensitive to what is right or wrong, what they should or shouldn't do. Some actions may be perfectly all right for us to do, but may harm a Christian brother or sister who is still young in the faith and learning what the Christian life is all about. We must be careful not to offend a sensitive or younger Christian by or by our example, cause him or her to sin. So in our in our meat example, uh -huh. if the strong person brings out this goat and the weak person is like, oh, thank you so much, and they eat some, that may violate their conscience because uh -huh. they feel pressure to eat the food. Okay. Or um and, and so maybe alternatively, what they should have is a conversation like the day before. Hey, I've got a little extra money. I was going to run out and get some goat. Are you okay with that? And the weak person says, has and has the freedom to say, mm -hmm. you know what? I used to be a pagan. I used to be involved in all that stuff. I just don't feel comfortable. And what should the strong person do? Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's just, um, it's super, super natural and should be. Suppose there are Christians who use tobacco, right? Mm -hmm. And they invite you over to their home. And you're like, hey, you know, I just really don't like tobacco smoke. Or maybe I'm allergic, you know, or maybe that trips something for me. Uh, same thing's true of alcohol. Our denomination allows uh, Christians to use alcohol and tobacco in moderation. Mm -hmm. And so we just have to be sensitive of each other. It's really an aspect of love. Um, the Life Application Study Bible finishes up, when we love others, our freedom should be less important to us than strengthening the faith of a brother or sister. We talked a little bit before. What are some things that are matters of conscience or were matters of conscience growing up for you? Uh, I mentioned uh, my parents not having cable mm. so that they would have a little extra money to give to the church kind of thing. That was one something that we could give up to help further our church. I don't know if that's necessarily a mo uh, matter of conscience, but I, th I think that, I think that fits, okay. you know, because they're, they're intentionally giving up something that, that could become a distraction from their faith. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know your parents. I'm sure they're wonderful people. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, just, we had watched seventh heaven in black and white because the antennas, you know, didn't. Wow. But Did you ever have to take like aluminum foil and put it on the antenna? I think the one in their bedroom. Yeah. It had the aluminum rabbit foil. ears. Yeah. That's see, I, re I remember rabbit ears because that was the only way we had TV when I was a kid. Yeah, I think that you know, some of the things that um, I grew up in the Baptist tradition, um, I'm okay. What type of Baptist? So, independent, okay, fundamental. Um, I grew on the other end of the spectrum when it comes to Baptist, I was American Baptist. Okay, all right, so a little more freedom or a little less freedom. A little more. More? Okay, yeah, good. Yeah. Um, 
Can he be on the podcast? If he wants to. You want to come say hello to the whole world? Go take your mom's microphone. Say hello. Hello. Now you have to have your name on the show notes. <laughs> Jonah Miller on the podcast. Um, for me, like one of the things that was really emphasized in the Baptist tradition, this is when music was really good, like mm-hmm. in the 70s and 80s. And so like there was this really good secular music. Um, <clears throat> so, we can agree to disagree. Yeah, we have this ongoing thing about music. Um, <laughs> we, we have, I have decided that there's nothing in NSYNC or Backstreet Boys that I ever need to listen to ever again. But we do have some other things that we're working on. But in the Baptist tradition, they were like, man, if you, if people hear you listening to that music, you'll destroy your witness. Mm-hmm. And so I can remember going through the drive-thru at McDonald's, turning the radio down because I didn't want to, you know, destroy my ability to talk to somebody about Jesus. Yeah. The reality is that you can listen to that music and talk to people about Jesus and there's no essential conflict there. Right. But I remember that was just, that was for me a matter of conscience. Um, church attendance might be another one, mm-hmm. you know, um, in the Baptist tradition, you had to be there three times a week, yep. Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and, and Wednesday evening, or you, you know, you get a phone call, Hey, we didn't see you in church on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, I like seeing, like for me, I have a conviction about going to church. I'm going to go to church. Why? Cause I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually missed church one day. Was it conference week? Like I missed, but I was online, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, I, 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 it's a conviction for me, but it's for me, mm-hmm. right? I do think if you're listening to this, you should be in church, right? I think everybody should be in church. I think church should be crowded on Sunday morning <laughs> because we're all fighting for a seat. Um, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to be like wagging my finger. Where were you on Sunday? That's not yeah. my job. That's not my that's not my role. I should, I as a pastor should try to help create an experience in church that people want to be at, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So. Okay, so First Corinthians, but then there's others like it, it'll go on and talk about conscience again. Um, Paul gives an answer to the meat market dilemma in First Corinthians ten twenty five. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. Don't ask. Don't ask if it was sacrificed in the in the temple. Just don't worry about it. A mm-hmm. temple is nothing. You have freedom to eat this. Um, people needed protein in the ancient world. And so the study Bible notes say, Paul gave one answer to the dilemma. Buy whatever meat is sold at the market without asking whether or not it was offered to idols. It doesn't matter anyway, and no one's conscience would be bothered. When we become too worried about our every action, we become legalistic and cannot enjoy life. Everything belongs to God, and he has given us all things to enjoy. If we know something is a problem, then we can deal with it, but we don't need to go looking for problems. I think that's good. I kind of like that. Mm-hmm. So if I hear you listening to NSYNC or Backstreet Boys, I don't have to be like, gosh, Alyssa. Right. I mean, I, I would think that. <laughs> I just I don't need to say that, right? What about books, the things that we read? Yeah. Um, I thought shopping. And there's there's a book, um, You Are What You Love, by a guy named James K.A. Smith. And it's really, really good. 
because it talks about the rituals and automatic habits that we develop as people, mm-hmm. just as people. And he uses the shopping mall as an example of an almost religious experience. When you walk into the mall, what's it like? There's the tinkling fountain over here. There's the fake plants. There's the large archways designed to give you a sense of freedom. You haven't been to a mall in a while, have you? (laughs) No. Is it bad? Is it like, have they changed? More, they're not quite as nice as they used to be. At least the ones close. But anyway, in the past, yes. back in the wogie days when I was a child, the mall was a place to go hang out. Um, and when you made that purchase, it was almost a cathartic religious experience. Ah, I found it. The one thing that will make me happy. Mm-hmm. And it does for about 10 minutes. And for some people, that can become a distraction into an idolatry. Mm-hmm. Shopping can become idolatry. And that's where I think that we need to address, like, we, we need to have the kinds of relationships where we can address those root issues, where a brother or sister could come and say, hey, I think you have a problem, mm-hmm. without the finger wagging, because there's enough of a friendship and a relationship and a love, a genuine love that's there, mm-hmm. that says, hey, I think this is a problem. And, you know, sometimes we don't like hearing people tell us we have problems. Yes. Uh, not my favorite thing, um, but usually very helpful. So anyway, for, for the issue of matters of conscience, we can we can work through things. We should have the ability to talk to people openly and honestly so that we can avoid having problems um, when it comes to our consciences. In 1 Timothy 1.19, it talks about how... I'm going to back up a little bit. Uh, verse 18, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Uh, The conscience is very important for Timothy because Timothy is a pastor who is establishing churches. Mm -hmm. And so Paul wants him to be sensitive to his conscience so that if he does do something wrong or incorrect, or even if he exercises his liberties, his freedoms to do something in a way that insults or harms another believer that his conscience would just lead him to immediately repent of it, mm-hmm. and take care of it. Um, and in the, <clears throat> this is the life application study Bible. Again, how can you keep your conscience clear? Treasure your faith in Christ more than anything else and do what you know is right. Each time you deliberately ignore your conscience, you are hardening your heart over a period of time. Your capacity to tell right from wrong will diminish As you walk with God, he will speak to you through your conscience, letting you know the difference between right and wrong. Be sure to act on those inner tugs so you do what is right, then your conscience will remain clear. Mm, That's a good one. I have an old pastor who said it this way. He said, no known sin. Okay? Mm -hmm. So when you sin, um, he believed very strongly, I agree, that the Holy Spirit is going to say, nope, that's wrong. Mm -hmm. And so you should learn to immediately change your mind about what you've done, mm-hmm. not make excuses for it, agree with God that it's wrong, even find the place in the Bible where it says this is wrong so that you can then kind of go back to it. Because we're human, like we have these weaknesses, and they usually crop up the same way the same time all the time, right? Right. Um, <clears throat> and so the more you become sensitive to 
what the Word of God says about different situations and your weaknesses in those situations, the more you can train your conscience and teach yourself, okay, no, this is what the Bible says, this is wrong, how am I supposed to respond to this person or this situation in, in this time? Mm-hmm. No known sin. He said it, I don't know, probably 100,000 times, and that's why I remember it so clearly, you know, that he yeah. went back to it. He said, how can you make sure that you're walking with God correctly? No known sin. And then make sure that you know what sin is, right? Mm -hmm. Because you could just be like, well, if I never crack the Bible open and never think about what sin is, then I have no knowledge of sin, right? No no known sin. I can go do whatever. Mm -hmm. But that's not really faithfulness in following after God. Faithfulness means that you're looking for ways to be the kind, compassionate person that God wants you to be. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Uh, What about people you associate with. So could that be a matter of conscience? I guess it depends on if they're a bad influence on you or if you are a good influence on them. Oh. Most of the time, they are a bad influence on you, right? Potentially. Potentially. If you're not careful, Mm -hmm. right? If you're you're not... um, If you're not mindful of your own weaknesses, right, mm-hmm. then you could um, develop friendships and associations that don't have good boundaries, right? Yeah. And if you don't have good boundaries, then that's going to be a problem. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty much all I got. Okay. But what do you got? Well, I was going to say, like in um, high school, my best friend, um, she was a little more of the wild child, and I was very much more straight-laced. You? And Yeah. Straight-laced? Really? Straight-laced, yeah. Okay. All right. And I'll take your word for it. <laughs> so that was one of the instances where I tended to be a little bit more of a moral compass, if you want to say, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. with her, like, because the two of us didn't get into too much trouble together. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just. Yeah, that's good. That's a good example. Yeah. Hmm. What's her name? Let's call her up and see what's <laughs> going on. Hey, did you tell me the stories of Alyssa <laughs> back in the college days? Oh, this is high school. Oh, high school. Like 10 minutes ago for you. College is different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my college experience was as a married guy with kids. Oh, yeah. That was when I first went to college. And children have a way of slowing everything down. Yes. I spent some time in the Navy um, where I wouldn't say that I ran as wild as there was potential for. Mm. Right? Um, and I got married when I was... I got married two weeks after my 20th birthday. So that chilled a lot of things right out. Yeah. Um, But still, that's where there was a lot of potential to do a lot of bad things. Yeah. And I think that's where, you know, if you have had problems in the past or if you have done sins in the past, God is so incredibly gracious and kind and loving to you that Jesus died for you while that was happening, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's something we, we can tend to get tripped up on, you know, the idea of accepting the forgiveness that God has for you mm-hmm. um, and feeling like we don't feel forgiven, right? You know? like we're always bound up with um, feeling like we haven't confessed enough or we haven't served enough or we haven't given enough. Mm-hmm. But none of those things earn you the relationship with God. Right. It's Jesus. Mm-hmm. And when you get to the, when you finally understand that that's the answer, 
then you're like, oh, you mean I don't have to work hard to earn it? No, you don't. It's a gift. It's given mm-hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. Now, as a result of that gift, God wants you to live a better life, not just not for him, for you. Right. You know, so that's pretty much where I'm at. Um, this has been the Unqualified Scholar. We talked about conscience. I still don't have a strong opinion about kitchen chairs. No? You have two separate pairs. You have one that you cut regular things, you know, mail open, whatever, and then you have a pair that you use on chicken and pizza. And I just remember, like, the junk drawer scissors that would be used to trim, okay. like, the dog hair and no, cut open. Th- this, no, this is com- this completely is different. Completely different. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks so much for playing along.